0: If you accumulate enough and you practice enough, all these tactics will balance each other out. The holes from other Swiss cheeses might not line up, so the entire system as a whole, the multitude of tactics that you have, ends up being this robust, solid fucking system. that can't fail. Hello, Jello. Welcome, friends. If you've stumbled into this part of the interwebs, welcome to The Process with Nikki Chin. We're back here for episode seven. And for those of you new here or tuning back in, place, opportunity, time and space for us to reflect on things of our process, items of our process that help us become and realize more of our potential and the best version of what that may be. That comes in the form of stories, that comes in the form of meditations and reflections and thinking relatively deeply surface level deeply on uh, those things that might make you the best version of yourself and good practices and disciplines to that measure. So structure and the form we we typically take on, ideally reflect on three things, three items of meditations or gratitudes that somehow turn into uh, stories in some way. And I try and pull out a lesson or I try and pull out an idea and a practice that I've subscribed to that's helped me over the years. If you enjoy this, of course, let me know. I, I think this is, you are only as great as, as your environment and those that you surround yourself with, your reflection of it at the bare minimum. One of the things that I've been fortunate enough and I hope to continue with in my life is to surround myself with good people and surround myself with like-minded individuals and people that challenge and push you and bring new ideas and shed light to things or bring or bring light to things from a different perspective you've never thought. So but I value my friends. I value the things I listen to and consume and the environments I put myself in, primarily because I then try and look at that and mold myself based on the best parts of all those elements. So uh, I say all that because I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you think. I'd love to hear what you're doing, how this benefits you or doesn't, or what does, and accordingly, build a community. At the end of the day, I've realized success may be great, People and accolades and things that you accomplish may be great, but it's the people that you surround yourself and have around you while you do get to go through that journey that makes it all much more meaningful and merry. So here's to hear from y'all. Having said that, let's jump into it. So today, what I'm trying to think about and reflect on, like what what's helped me a lot over the past uh, few weeks, what thoughts do I kind of want to dig into deeper or at least remind myself of and project and hone in on and practice? boil down to a few things and looking through my journal and thinking back on some of my meditation sessions or exercise sessions, what's helped over the last few weeks. So a few things, one, one that I do want to speak to a very important game. We touched on last week, but I didn't go into some specific stories uh, that helped me just better understand my actual game and myself, if you will, it's a game of golf. Some of the things I've been grateful for over the past uh, few weeks and some of the things and thoughts, if you will, that have helped me improve and become better over time. Still on my journey to getting getting lower, we'll say. Oh <gasps> will divulge how, how bad yet. Beyond that, uh, the other thing I wanted to, to kind of reflect on and think about is. You know, this journey that I've been on over the last six years or so, what is the journey of, of sales and tech sales look like? One of the key things, one of the key elements that I've taken from the experience and process, if you will, of getting into into bed with a sales career is how to, yes, value your time, but how to maybe operate more so as a CEO and manage your territory in the best way possible. So some of the practices that I've taken from, from the career and opportunities that sales has come to, come to fruition. And last but certainly not least, I've I've touched on glimpses of this uh, in previous episodes, but the holistic overall importance of a morning routine and what's helped over the past few weeks, few months really and truly in thinking about my morning routine and putting that together and how and why I'd encourage you all to dig into some of those things. So let's start the game of golf. This one is always exciting. I just it's just such a fantastic game. I realized as soon as I got out of recording last last episode, I spoke to you about Uncle John Joe. I shared the great the great man that he is, and I didn't include a very recent story and it's actually what spurred the entire reflection of of just thinking about Uncle John Joe and some of the lessons he's taught me over the years. So he's, he's in the golf industry and works at this beautiful golf course called Magna Golf Club. It's in Aurora, Ontario. For those of you unfamiliar, it's a private membership. It's a really nice course. There's no way in hell I could afford to be on it or play there. However, Uncle John Joe works there and got us on, on us being my, my dad and the old man. And there's, two uncle John Joe stories or golf stories from Magna and another round that I wanted to share. So first one for starters, I mean, Magna is this beautiful, beautiful course, like pristine. I got to say top 15. I don't even think that's an exaggeration. Top 15, top 10 golf courses in Canada, just absolutely immaculate condition and immaculate meaning like the fairways, the tee boxes, everything just looks like a plush carpet. And it feels so soft. And it's just just absolutely beautiful. And we tee off on this gorgeous sunny day. I want to say around 4 p.m. So we have ample time before the sun sets. And we started out pretty hot. I got to say, I think I, I started out, I think I nice drive down the middle. Gur, or no, left it a little bit short, chipped on, two putt, bogey. For, for for me, I'm running with that any day of the week, especially on a course that has me quivering in my boots and I, I just gotta say, I was overwhelmed with positivity, just based on how magnificent everything seemed, like every shot, every hole. I was just in awe of like how immaculate and beautiful everything was and the environment and the setting that I was being placed in. I just couldn't I couldn't get over it. And I'll uh, I'll respond or I'll share other one of the reflections I came on, I think probably the day after or maybe the same day after playing the courses. You don't have to be playing Magna Golf Club with Uncle John Joe and Pops for it to be a mag- magical round. But boy, does it fucking help. <laughs> and I say that because that magnificent feeling, that overwhelming positive emotion and mental affect that I had, I mean, you can really take that mindset to any golf course. You can, whether it be a public dog track or Torrey Pines or wherever you are, you know, golf is very much so uh, a personal game and it's a reflection You're, you'll play based on the reflection of like what's going on internally and it's just a an absolutely beautiful game so why bring it up the story is not to tell you like the mindset and the emotion mind magna it's a funny funny game of this is just the the life and times of nikki chen and the career progression that is my golf career so for those of you that don't know my old man's probably my, my number one golf partner. Play with him the most. Definitely played with him the most in my entire life. I want to say probably eclipsed 200, 300 golf rounds together. We play a lot and have for, for a long time. That might be even a little bit conservative. And of all those rounds, I beat him once. Not once. I'm sorry. I beat him a handful of times. Maybe now I can start to count on two hands, but I don't think it's up to 10. The difference is... Man is accurate, takes that aim. He, uh, low and boring and just, he's keeps in play. And I, I mentioned how I started. So we go through the front nine. I'm, I'm ball striking. I'm playing really well. By the, the end of the front, I close out with 12 over par after the front nine. So I shoot 48. Uncle John Joe shoots 51. My dad shoots 49. Even taking a front is a rare instance. And in, Already something to be elated about and write home about. I'm feeling good. I remember at the end of this, at the end of the front, I was like, I probably have them by a little bit, but maybe not much. But I'm definitely, I'm definitely playing today. Maybe a couple bad breaks, but all in all, I was really happy with how I was performing and what I was doing. I just some of my game I was still missing. Here's here's to show how fickle the game can be. I'm up by one after nine. Going into number 10. Boom, yank it into the bush on the left. (laughs) So there goes the one-shot lead. Drop for three. I believe it's a par five. I absolutely smash a six iron. I'm maybe 200 or so yards out. Goes greenside bunker. That's one drop, two. Hit three into the trap. I splash out four on. And I either chipped and made the putt or that splash out, and then one... Either way, I walk out with a six. Walk out with a bogey with a penalty stroke. I'm very happy with that. And my old man shoots par. So we're back to even. There goes uh, the lead. Shortly after that, uh, it's a par four. I shoot a 10. Dad shoots a double. And I want to say from there on out, the, ab- the match absolutely crumbles and evaporates. I go 10, 9, I, I end the back nine with shooting 60, 48, 60. So 12-stroke difference. I completely lost all matches that day. But I tell you, Magna definitely helps because it was a beautiful fucking golf course to shoot 60 on. But let's not do that again. Now, another great uncle john Joe story because the man just never ceases to amaze. Not playing Magna, this was, I think, maybe the following weekend. We played another track, and we we tee off have a good first hole actually I think I parred and I remember just walking down the fairway and Uncle John just kind of looks over at me and dad and just kind of smiles and hey this is what it's all about hey gentlemen entertain them why is that you JJ hit me hit me with it ain't nothing more Nikki than you're out here with people you love playing a game you love on a beautiful Sunday morning And you're out for a stroll in Mother Nature. And I can't say that just encapsulates the energy and the spirit of the game of golf and Uncle John Jones, and a a beautiful mindset with it. Now, all that is beautiful. And I love the mindset and I love the philosophy and the thinking of golf and the being present and all that. But shit, it does help me always shoot better. And there's always swing thoughts and techniques and things to kind of dig into that help you or help me at least get better. I want to say one of the pervasive or uh, prevailing thoughts right now that's really helped me strike the ball well is after your address it's it's very much so back so your backswing almost getting into a ready position and then through and swinging through the ball not swinging at the ball and it's a very big difference I want to say it's similar to swing through or punch through a target versus punch at a target when you punch at a target or make a strike you may recoil and stop right as soon as you hit the target or versus if you punch through a target swing through a ball as opposed to hitting a ball you're going to not let the club head just stop and recoil you're going to swing through the ball and kind of follow down the trajectory and path I don't know I'm getting I'm getting all over the place with swing thoughts but that's the one that's helped for me a lot right recently just back and through and there's this uh there's, there, there are so many thoughts like that, you could say, and there's so many different things that you'll stumble on over the, career if you're, if you're, or the, the lifetime of a career in golf. And it's just so many different ways to do it. At the end of the day, you'll see so many different golf swings, so many people playing the game, and they just own it in whatever way it comes. And there's something really powerful to owning your swing and owning the way that you do things and not molding or folding to a specific idea or template of the way things that should be done. But recognize your strengths, recognize your shortcomings and talents and, and you can adapt and adjust within golf more than anything you can own your swing which is what makes it so cool people will play it till the day that they die all ages all creeds all people if you will and there's many different ways to get that ball into the hole I played with another another one of my more recent friends his name is Mike who really owned his swing you could tell he uh he's been working on his swing especially with the driver in terms of tempo, you could tell he naturally had a really fast swing at one point and he's very consciously and intently focusing on getting back and going through and not rushing anything and it requires a serious amount of discipline. It's a curious game, very, very curious game. And again, I promise you at some point we'll go through the five fundamentals of, of golf that I believe it's Mr. Ben Hogan brings up, but you can own your swing. You can't own your swing. Now, one more thought in kind of thinking and reflecting on golf recently is the putter, the most important club in the bag, most important part of anybody's game if you're going out there to score. What that's been like for me, For <laughs> I have uh, – I'm, I'm ashamed to a bit, but I'm staring right now at my wall. I got maybe eight or nine putters just kind of dangling there and I'd be lying if I said that was it. And I'd I'd be double lying if I said I haven't tried every single one of those to figure out, like, what's the what's the club I need to build a relationship with and really make things work. And a lot of this year, I've stumbled on using my old man. I used to play with hickory clubs. So we had this hickory, Louisville, brown, Harry Varden putter. It's a little hickory one that has absolutely no technology way back one, probably from golf in the thirties or earlier. I don't know, but it's, it's a, it's a putter that definitely does not have any of the technology, the tips and tricks of making the game a little bit easier. Put it down to my dismay after really making, trying to make it work for the, mo- the majority of this season. And I picked it, picked it, I picked back up my Odyssey two ball it's a much newer putter. I'm grateful enough, fortunate enough. Some of my best friends, oh man, that's, that's beautiful. Some of my, one of my best friends from Xerox, when I used to sling photocopiers, got it for me for my birthday. They all chipped in and got me this really nice, fancy Odyssey 2 ball putter. I used it for the time and actually put it really well. I don't know why I put it down. Maybe look and feel. Anyways, I switched from this, this very primal, no technology, 1930s type putter and. Struggled with that the entire season, but really tried to make it work and thought of all the different putting thoughts and swing thoughts and whatever it may be, left thumb press or rolling and feeling the ball go into the hole, like all the different things you want to think, maybe you want to think about what you're putting, but she couldn't get it to work with this Brown Varden, this old putter. So I picked up this newer putter and it was actually, yeah, I believe this was the first time I played with it this past, this past weekend. <laughs> and it came because my old man said, "Nikki, you're going to go play in a best ball tournament with your buddies and your friends. You really got to bring your A game. You're playing a nice course. This is another course called St. Andrew's Valley up in Aurora. It's actually around the corner from, from Magna golf club. This is a, a public one. And if you're in there, i recommend you check it out. It's a beautiful, absolutely fantastic course. Maybe not to the same extent of Magna, but it's definitely in the same neighborhood and family, literally. And I believe, I don't know. I don't know if it's accurate. My old man was selling me on the course because he played it a few times. And he mentioned that number 18, the closing hole, is modeled after one of the one of the great or big courses. And he, he kind of gave me the walkthrough of the the number 18 green or hole. So I'll come back to 18 in a second. So I bring this putter, this new putter, and I have all these old swing thoughts from uh, trying to make Harry Varden, the old putter work. And I don't know there's magic in this new odyssey because how, how best ball works is everybody kind of has an attempt or opportunity to sink the putts that your team can score collectively as a group. It's more a a team game in, in the foursome or threesome that you're in and shit. I made some big putts. I made some big, big putts, some big par saves, couple of birdie putts to, to go lower. And it fully came to what I think a lot of the things I was practicing with And the fundamentals that I was practicing with this old 1930s putter, I then brought it and applied it to some new technology. And it just was maybe a little more forgiving or had more opportunities and ways for me to get into the hole. I don't know, but it fucking worked. And I'm holding on to it. And I played a few extra rounds. My putting's been much, much better. I don't know if it's just something that clicked or it's a benefit of technology. And it got me thinking, because this happens a lot in sales especially tech sales more than anything. There's so much software. There's so many tools. There's so many things you can use to make your life and your job easier. It's easy to not rely on some of the fundamentals and just think that, oh, these softwares or these tools or hacks will give me the outcome I'm desiring. More often than not, I've found you got to break it back down to first principles and fundamentals. Like What is the intention and what is the spirit of what I'm trying to do? And then when you couple that with the software, or the tool, or the technology, you become a superhuman. But it's not the inverse. And it requires very intentional focus and curiosity to say, like, in each step of the process, why am I doing this? So I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that in the last part of uh, today's episode. Because technology can be a crutch, but it can also just change the game for you. So... If you're struggling with certain things, certain tactics in your job or your profession or your golf game, more often than not, go back to first principles, fundamentals, and then add in the technology and the aids and the helps and whatever it may be that will maybe amplify or highlight what exactly it is you're working on and struggling with. We'll come back to an example of of using technology for the betterment because I think it'll fit better with this next piece as I awkwardly transition. (laughs) Oh God, the joys of trying to figure out how to narrate and craft a story on the fly in a podcast that um, you're working out. Bear with me, folks. Nevertheless, this next, I don't know, maybe a reflection is is probably the right word for this is I've created a career, I've created a a way of living, a standard of living for myself, fortunately, serendipitously, happenstance through the gifts of gab, through sales. I'll never forget Mrs. Young in grade seven. And she pulled me aside and said, Nikki, you know you can't charm your way through life. And that story sticks with me because it's just been the story I tell and what I've been the mantra I've been preaching, saying, you know what, Ms. Young, I'm gonna prove you wrong. Watch me. I will charm my way through life. And I don't know if it's evolved or and continues to be charming, but it definitely at least speaks to can use lip service, can use my mouth to identify and communicate and connect with people to figure out like how can you add value? And that's sales. Sales, to me, is the thing that makes the world go around. Them. Business happens because of sales, be it internally or externally. If you are a salesperson or you're a CEO or you're a marketer or your are financial operator or financier or you're in hard labor or whatever it may be, in some capacity, you are conducting sales. I think sales is, is communication through and through, and it's really connecting and understanding with another party, another person, or being, figuring out what is the problem that they're fundamentally trying to solve. And then ideally, if you have the solution, you can marry your solution with their problem. But I think that if you're selling a product, an idea, you're selling a new process, a new way of doing things, you are selling maybe your own self and services or you're selling your labor to the market in exchange for cash and goods, you are making a sale. There's a transaction in some way. I'm a big, big firm believer of sales, and why I started out in sales is is actually that exact pitch I just gave you. Uh, One of my mentors at the time mentioned if you are unsure, uncertain of what it is you want to do, where you want to go, how you want to build your career, but you have a, a sneaky suspicion it might be in business or some capacity, or you at least want to explore that, start with sales it's hard, it's gritty, can be shitty work, can be very rewarding and yeah, can just be very rewarding work, test it out. And even if you don't like it, this is my pitch to you. Even if you learn that this is not for me, I hate this, this is horrible. I can guarantee you the skills and the experiences at the bare minimum you put yourself through are going to be transferable to whatever thing it is that you do end up pursuing long-term and for a career. Why? Again, because you will have to sell something at some point in time. And if you understand the fundamentals and the first principles of sales, you'll be able to better perform in whatever that profession looks like. And and all of this spiel, by the way, this is something that I would often and still do to this day, try and communicate to young professionals, people just entering the workforce, people I just recently hired saying, hey, well, why even embark on this? What is it for you? What are you going to get out of this? Here's our potential path forward traditional sales route here are some of the skills you learn if this traditional route is not for you and one of those skills that I've now more recently it just keeps coming back is this this element of time management and we've spoken about the value of time before and maybe how I I frame my time but it's worth I think it's worth restating one of the things I'd often are still often practiced and, and I'll, I'll say sales has maybe just even honed this practice even further within time management is just scheduling and planning out my week. It's effectively me just creating like a skeleton or a wireframe for, Hey, this is what I think I want to happen. And the importance of that, that skeleton, that wireframe, that plan of, Hey, this is what I want to do can be translated to anything within sales or any other project. As an example in sales, like you, I make cold calls, reach out to people who don't expect my call awkwardly and try to engage them in a longer and more meaningful way. And in and, and doing thousands of calls over the years, you got to have a script. And I, I often tout a script, not because you're going to copy and paste and read word for word what that script is to a, a prospect, not that you're going to Item by item, follow that exact plan that you designed at the end of the week. But here's the thing: when shit happens, when somebody throws an objection, curveball, left field out of nowhere, or your day just completely goes amiss because an unexpected event popped up or a fire comes out, you will get frazzled. I guarantee you, everybody does. The purpose of a plan, the purpose of the wireframe or skeleton, is when when hell is breaking loose and everything in the chaos of any day that's coming happens. You have something to fall back on and it just maybe helps that inner anxiety, inner critic to say, Hey, you know, it's, it's not so bad, whatever it may be, you'll get back on the horse. Why? Because you actually set out the time earlier on this week or earlier on today or whatever it was earlier to manage and mitigate some of the effects of this. And it's so, so, so easy to be reactive as opposed to being proactive, And you can go your entire life, your entire career, sales or non-sales, whatever it may be, by being reactive. Fires are going to happen. And it's just a shame to go through your entire profession, your entire existence, just not planning things out and trying to define and intentfully say, hey, you know what, this is how I want my life to unfold. And that skeleton, that wireframe of your life, of your day, of your cold call, of whatever it is you're looking to accomplish, just that active forethought of saying, hey, this is what I think I this is what I think I want to happen, it'll set you up for success. So maybe I'm just touting the benefit and value of planning and time management and just trying to be a little bit more ahead of the ball as opposed to just reacting to the way other people other people make decisions. But I I can't say how much more fulfilled I feel because I haven't just let other people do the thinking for me throughout. And and that that also falls into the sales profession and career because one of the other things is like it's it's a commission-based role. It can be at the bare minimum. So it's often touted, you get what you put in. You get what you put in. You get what you put in. Your efforts, your rewards, your compensations, a reflection of the efforts and sweat equity you put up front. I mean, there, there are so many beautiful things to pull out of that. And it can be cutthroat. It can be commission. It can be you got to sell to live, or whatever it may be. But again, the first principle of what that is, I'm going to focus on inputs, not outputs. And the bestest of reps. And when I say bestest, like you can find reps that'll absolutely crush it and be top of the game. Who are in Presidents Club and they're the the best salesperson week over week, year over year, month over month, whatever. It is, and they're just focusing on like how am I going to hit my target and and the output the end result, but it's not sustainable the The bestest reps that I've followed and seen and tried to mold myself after really are disciplined and focus on the input. What do I control? what is my intention? what can i what can I plan in advance, and what are the levers that I can pull that might of course influence and impact my outcome and my output, but my attention, my focus is focused on. What's in front of me? What are the things that I can work on on a, on a daily basis that will set me up for success? And that's that's really just another one of the things called intention. Now, there's no better way to say this than to look back on a guide, and this thoughts came back to me just trying to, you know, think deeper on sales, on intention, and what and time management and all that, and trying to think like, where did I pick some of this from? And a lot of it happens, obviously, just over the years, you look back and reflect and there's a, a rep I had his name was is Nate. He went by nasty Nate. Well, that's what I called him. I don't know if he went by nasty Nate, but I made him go by nasty Nate and one of the greatest one of the greatest, greatest gifts he 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 gave me as he was leaving the team for another opportunity is he just documented for the last I think week and a half two weeks his story his guide, his field guide, in fact is what he called it. And he called it uh, a framework for being an intentful BDR. And if you notice, it's very selective. Intention, it's the name of the game. And it's, there are so many things you can pull out from this guide. Um, and it's the biggest thank you I could ever get from Rep, because he mentioned and, and thanked me for bringing some of these ideas to his mind and at least helped him explore some of them. And one of the things is, continuous improvement and he speaks to just documenting your findings and being curious and just kind of leaving the paper trail as you go through the learning curve. That is, that is sales. And any you start up especially how to maintain focus and intention and in getting there. Now he, he, he spoke to, I think he called it Swiss cheese stacks of Swiss cheese. were like every little tactic, any little thing that you do, is going to have holes in it. It's going to have some flaws or some crack that can be exploited. That could ultimately make the plan or the tactic fail. But what happens if you intentfully think about every little tactic that you have and apply, and sales is a game of reps, that you apply them with repetition and you really understand, well, what is this tactic? What is this layer of cheese? You'll over time accumulate these stacks of Swiss cheese. And I think you got this analogy from a book you read where a stack of Swiss cheese, despite each layer of cheese having some holes or some gaps in it, if you accumulate enough and you practice enough, all these tactics will balance each other out. The holes from other Swiss cheeses might not line up, so the entire system as a whole, the multitude of tactics that you have, ends up being this robust, solid fucking system that that can't fail. How you do that, though, is you put intention behind each little, small, micro step and tactic that you do. And as an example, this is something that we were kind of riffing on earlier use your technology. So in sales, you have outreach, you have Apollo, you have these, and when you see it, maybe you'll come a little more sus and skeptical of the emails and calls that you receive, but you can create these things called cadences. And the cadence or a sequence is over time, over the next month or six weeks, you are going to get a litany of calls and emails and touch points from a salesperson. So you can plan out, you can create a plan for how do I want to engage with this person? How do I ideally want to get their attention? And what happens when you you sequence a lot of people, when you start targeting and reaching out to a lot of people, you can accumulate a lot of tasks and you can accumulate a lot of things to do, we'll say. Be it calls or emails or touch points. And you almost create this like activity bank. And what happens in a system, if if it's designed in this way, at least, you can passively just kind of follow the rules and go through the playbook of what Nick or your sales leader, whoever it is, says, hey, this is what you should be doing on a day to day basis. And you can just become a robot. You can become a cog in the wheel. You can just start just processing orders or numbers or outreach tasks based on the fact that somebody told you to do it, you just mandated to you. Now, the difference between a top and a not so top sales rep is one's going to take that tactic or that guidance for granted. And one's going to think about it and get back to like, well, shit, why am I doing this? What's the intention behind this? And that's one of the things Nate spoke about in this, this guide for being an intentful BDR is you need to think about each step, each slice of Swiss cheese and really deeply understand all of them. And never forget that as you go about your actions day to day. And it can be a lot. It can be overwhelming. So one of the things he speaks about is is burnout and how to manage and mitigate burnout in terms or times of just overwhelming activity. And the, the code I'll pull or share with you that I think just wraps it up with a nice pretty bow at the end of it all in terms of intention prevails. Technology works, yes, but intention prevails. You need to think about and get back to fun principles and fundamentals of what it is that I'm trying to do that will help you uh, achieve more as opposed to being a robot or a cog you have to make deliberate actions to get out of burnout not fold like a cheap lawn chair in light of it and this is in the context of burnout but deliberate actions and that deliberate actions can permeate to any part of sales or any job function What's your plan? What is it you are intentfully trying to accomplish? What have you thought about? What slice of cheese have you kind of broken down and said, all right, how does this really help me get towards my larger goal? Is this part of my skeleton? Is my wireframe? What happens when shit doesn't go as planned? Can I still fall back and find myself in some way? But there are many things at the end of the day intention. So it's, it's been a very interesting journey. These, these past six years, what's been interesting in terms of time management and, and money and territories, it really allows you to operate and think as a, a CEO. And you know, you see a bunch of J, job descriptions tout that for salespeople like want you to own your territory as a CEO. But I, I do think there's some merit and truth to it insofar as you're thinking about the business, you're thinking about your ter- your quota, your outreach strategies, your, your business, your plan of action as if it were just you and you were equipped with a cell phone and a laptop and the internet to to make sales. That's the journey of many solopreneurs and entrepreneurs these days, and what makes billionaires and millionaires around the world. All you need is an idea and some bare-bones technology and then just some sheer sweat equity, intentful, intentful sweat equity. Now, I mean, it's nice to just like tout hustle hard and sales and activity and be a bit of a demagogue for just work, And I really do believe effort is king. Effort can win and outwork talent many a times. Uh, But you got to set yourself up for that. And one of the ways, and this is the last thing I kind of wanted to explore today, is the importance and value of setting yourself up on a daily basis and the importance of a morning routine. Now, I've gone over a couple items and a couple things I do um, within my morning routine, but it's just the overarching element of a morning routine. What is the importance of it? What are things... yeah. What are things to account for when developing your morning routine? I think if you don't have a morning routine, you're fucked. <laughs> Plain and simple. It's, it's the start of your day. It's setting the, the tone for the rest of it. The rest of the chaos and the fires that will unfold in front of you. It's the first opportunity for you to be proactive and not reactive and really just build a momentum on a daily basis. And that's the grind of sales. It's the grind of I just think life as a whole. I've stumbled into my morning routine again just by like stumbling into certain practices, but I very notably notice, notably notice, goddamn Nick, you are killing it today, boy. I very it's a significant difference I notice when I accomplish parts of my morning routine Versus, I don't. As an example, say I'm hungover or I I stayed out late or I stayed up late. Whatever it may be, I just got out of my routine of when I want to go to sleep and when I want to wake up, which I think is key for life. Just go to bed and wake up at the same time every day, train your body. But the morning routine in specific, even if I'm groggy, even if I'm slow, I got to get through some of it in parts. And and why I say that, like as an example, there's there's this other practice within sales called eating the frog. Uh, eating the frog, it's in relation to cold calling because anybody who cold calls will tell you it sucks. Nobody wants to do it. But you eat the frog first thing in the morning. You get through the shittiest part of your day first thing in the morning. You make your cold calls, and you prospect, and you do a lot of your outreach first thing in the morning. Why? It's the thing you're most likely to put off. It's the thing that you're most likely to say ah I can get around to it but it's so important to do that thing on a daily basis that if you miss it well missing it will have in the same way that every day if you do it it'll have cumulative effects and be that much better for you when you miss it just once or just this other one, or just this once type of thinking if you miss it it'll compound and the compound effects of missing it is quick you deteriorate quite rapidly so eating the frog in sales can be just getting the hardest thing of your day done right away. Cold calling. I think that can translate to the rest of your day and something that's helped me significantly. I really value. And I mentioned the importance of exercise and movement and how much that means to me and clarity of mind and thinking and body and whatever it may be. I notice a drastic difference when I get up first thing, even if I'm groggy and I go for a run, or get up from grog and go to the gym or whatever, I just start moving. I, I get my exercise, which is typically the hardest thing in my day done, out of the way. The days that I get that, I at least now have some momentum where I'm like, all right, it might not have been, or it might have been one of the better workouts recently. What's next? And I have this like pep in my step and this rhythm to say, let's keep the momentum going and like start looking for more uh, little wins here and there. And the days that I don't do that, yeah, it's my girlfriend. I'm a miserable shit. I just, I, uh, i be, I, I very much so become more reactive than proactive. I just start saying, Oh fuck, this is just not my day. And I, I almost have like this more defeatist type mentality and attitude. And it starts first thing in the morning. It starts right away. And if, if I am able to eat that frog and get on top of my day and get on top of the most difficult thing, I feel a little bit more like a conquistador conqueror i feel like i can take on anything i can conquer anything that i that's put in front of me on a daily basis but it's hard so what can you do i mean set yourself up for success as an example uh what do i mean by set yourself up for success set yourself up so that eating the frog is a little bit more palatable this is one i learned last season more recently was trying the running daily activity and exercise and goal rather and Live in Canada, so can have some days where it snows overnight. you can get a foot of snow. It can drop to minus 10 or 20. A whole lot of excuses can come up. And what I I've done that helps me maybe mitigate some of the excuses that can come up is I prepare. I set myself up for success in advance. Put my workout clothes, go through the process of like, all right, well, if I want to work out I'll go off and go out for a run tomorrow, what do I want to wear? And I pick out the outfit. I put the outfit outside. I put my alarm clock outside of the bedroom so that when it goes off, I got to wake up. I got to drag myself out of bed to turn off the alarm clock. By the time I get up and out, turn off the alarm clock, I'm staring at my workout clothes. I'm like, and then guilt guilt is a huge motivator for me. It's just like, well, shit, Nikki, are you really going to go back to bed? Maybe. And if that little devil on my shoulder starts to whisper sweet nothings in my ear, I'll say, "All right, let me just let me lie down next to my clothes and we snooze for for five minutes, and then see how I'm feeling." And then I start another little battle with myself. Nine, we'll say eight times out of ten, if I get outside and, and I'm looked at everything and I've done a lot of the preparation, it's much harder to to say no because you're now you're saying no to yourself, and there's a whole cognitive dissonance. So prepare. Set yourself up to eat the frog by preparing, by planning, setting up the skeleton of what would I like my day to look like. Now, this one is more recent that I'm learning, and I still struggle with this one more than anything, is now I've built up this, we'll say, archive and toolkit of things I want to do in my morning routine, things that I know that make me feel better, things that I know that help me feel like I'm I'm already building some momentum, things like writing, things like writing and journaling. And by that, I mean, writing and journaling meditating exercise going for a run reading a lot of like my self-development personal development stuff that I typically push off because it's work but I try and get that done first thing in the morning and I have too much and the problem is is now I almost feel a little bit dissatisfied at times when I don't get through the whole collection we'll say of tools that I want to do which I think is unfair and I'm stealing this from a a fitness page. I actually used to work with the guy that runs it, MVMT Strength, Movement Strength, Isaac Morgado. I used to work with him at Apple way back when. He's transitioned and now built a a brand around his gym. At least that's what I gather from social. And the idea and we shared, I think it's, it's so much merit to it is you have five things in your morning routine, be satisfied, be happy, even if you just get one, because you can be very critical. You can Maybe think lesser of yourself, or think like, "Oh shit i i I didn't get the I didn't eat the frog, or I didn't get the win I was looking for because I didn't get through the list of five or six things you want to do every morning." Give yourself a break. I mean, at some point you'll come around to all of it. Be happy with one because something is better than nothing. Action always prevails, and I'll say that there's merit to it. Even if I'm not getting through everything that I want to do these days, get through seventy percent of it, eighty percent of it, ninety percent of it, hundred percent of it at times that something is better than nothing. So yeah, find your morning routine, practice, play around with some things, build a little bit of a toolkit. And once you have the toolkit, give yourself some grace Uh, know that you've, uh, you're at least doing some of the things, if not all of the things to make you a, a better, more happy human being on a, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I think that's all folks. Last piece we'll say found this on LinkedIn and I'm looking at this cause I'm staring at a, pile of books that i've started and i'm kind of here and there and all of them uh this is i believe from the intern of ryan holiday and ryan holiday is a fantastic author the daily stoic author who i believe i've touted before and his intern was just saying uh be happy and content with even just starting and reading books like don't feel obligated to, to read the whole book i mean whet your appetite with it see if it's for you and then get into it uh, i say that because Maybe it's like the morning routine tactics. Maybe it's like the books I'm reading It's just, you'll figure out and find what works for you and, and play with it and be happy with it. And don't hold yourself to like an unreasonable standard. I just know that the little inputs you're doing, it's going to amount to something much larger. All right. Having said all that folks, this was fun. This was cathartic. This helped me. I hope this helped you again. For those of you out there, find your process, find your discipline, enjoy it. And, See y'all again next week.